back to getting to know you. I'm really excited about our guest today, uh, David Gaynor, who is a really active, long-time tenured uh, member of the El Salvador Committee <laughs> and uh, uh, really active in adult faith formation and uh, just a pleasure to, to know. And so I thought I'd interview him. Hi, David, how are you? I'm doing fine. It's an honor to be in your Zoom presence. <laughs> so the way we do it these days, right? Yep. Um, you know, I asked you to, I asked to interview you and uh, I was immediately um, happy uh, when you turned on your Zoom camera because I saw you were in a very uh, interesting room and I thought, what, exactly right. He, uh, he's uh, are already delivering with his, even his environment. Where, <laughs> where, where are you? Right now? I'm in the basement of my house. My daughter is virtual, so she's upstairs in the dining room. I figured this would be less disruptive for her, but this is what I call my den of creativity. It's not a man cave. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> but this is a room that I have where I accumulate ever since I've been uh, a little, little kid. And over the course of time, I've just accumulated things and I've hidden it all over in this room. And when I finally pass from this earth, my three kids and my two grandkids will have to figure out what was he doing and where else is stuff hidden in this house? <laughs> pick, out, pick out one item to show us. What's, what's one... Uh point of interest in your den of creativity? Well, I'll, I can show this. I, um, can you see yeah. these? Yes, I can. Yeah, it's just a, um, um, those are just glass doorknobs, but I decided to make some kind of a interesting wall hanging with, with glass doorknobs. And I like putzing with things. I like taking things apart and hopefully getting them back together. And there's a variety of other related things like that, including my electronic keyboards, which I play pretty loud, um, so those have to be in the basement where it's a little bit easier to play. However, I do have a piano upstairs. It's a cabinet grand piano, and I love to play that really, really loud, especially at one in the morning, but I have to wait for Andrea and Ryan to not be home in order for me to play there. So that's that. <laughs> um, are you, have you always played piano? I've been playing piano since I was, six years old and took lessons, um, which was interesting. Then my brother got married or wanted to get married and he wanted me to play in his wedding. So I had to take a crash course in learning to play the organ. I even got to play on an organ that was from the original Lawrence War show. Wow. Um, that was a whole different time period, yes. <clears throat> and I took pipe organ lessons in college and I quit when um, the instructor, Hugo Gerke, um, was upset that I was not playing the foot pedals correctly because I was moving my knees apart. So he tied my knees together so that I would properly play. And I told my mom, I just don't think bondage is a good way to be learning how to play the organ. So I got permission to not take pipe organ anymore. And now I just play the piano any way that I want, along with a, a ton of other instruments as well. <laughs> including a hurdy-gurdy, which is my newest instrument. What is that? I don't even know what that is. A hurdy-gurdy is a stringed instrument that you play with keys with your left hand and you crank a, a, a wheel with your right hand and it has a rosin wheel that runs on rub strings. It's got 13 strings that you have to tune and you play it kind of like a piano, but it sounds like a combination of a cello and bagpipes. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. 
That's cool. I, you don't hear of a new musical instrument every day. I mean, it's not that it's new. It's new to me, though. That's cool. Yep. Got it. <clears throat> yep. Um, uh, going back to your debt of creativity for a second. Do, do, uh, yep. do, uh, do you ever putz with something and it goes horribly wrong? The reason I ask is because whenever I putz, I end up having to call some professional into my orbit. Well, it depends upon what you interpret as putzing. I don't, for example, if I'm fixing the washing machine, consider that to be putzing. Mm -hmm. That's home ownership and fixing things. Putzing is whatever happens, happens, and everything is always outstanding, no matter how it turned out. Oh, that's good. I like that. It's a good growth mindset, too. Well, it works pretty well. And again, I, well enough about me maybe but I, I tend to be quite guilt-ridden and I'm easily bothered by things and so I need some outlet in which there's guaranteed not going to be a failure it's going to be okay because I was just putzing. <laughs> I love that I think you could write a whole philosophy on that that's that's awesome. <laughs> um, hey David uh, why don't you start by you know whatever you want to share but just tell us about you uh, for people that might not know you in the parish. Well, other than I was born at a very early age, um, I am married to my best friend, Andrea Kramer, and I actually met her at work um, a number of years ago. I actually hired her for a position, and for whatever reason, my life had changed quite a bit, and she agreed to go out with me, and then we got married, and we have an amazing, creative, awesome, perceptive, intelligent, 13-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Ryan, who is upstairs right now and learning how to crochet while um, watching her attending her math class actually. I was a single dad for a while. I've got two older kids from that relationship. My son Zach who you just interviewed Brian Kirkpatrick. Brian, uh, my son Zach and, and Brian were in the same class. Uh -huh. In fact Brian lived right up the street from where I used to live. So Zach is married to an amazing woman. She is a homeschooler they have two grandkids. The grandkids call me Paco. Um, one's seven and one is four, Luke and Will. And then I have a, an older daughter. Her name's Jessica. She's a, an artisan. She um, uh, makes all kinds of really cool pro, um, um, not, they're leather handbags, which, by the way, I took some down to Teosinte. We'll talk about Teosinte in a little bit. She married, uh, her name's Jess. She married a guy from um, Portugal who's actually here on a student visa at UWM. They got married this past September. And other than that, that's my family. Wow, wow. you're a grandfather. Yep, well, I guess I was born at a very early age. Um, just as a little bit of a tidbit of information, the last year they made wheat cents, pennies with wheat um, insignia on the back before they changed to the Lincoln Memorial penny. Mm -hmm. um, I was born the year they stopped making wheat sense. So you can do your math and figure, you can do your research and figure out how old I am. But again, I was born a long time ago. <laughs> That's the first thing I'm going to Google uh, when I get off the, when I get off. The <laughs> but I'm a kid at heart. Um, someday I'm going to grow up and mature. I'm not sure when it's going to happen. Um, but yep, that sets me. Um, and I would, I would say, uh, I mean, just based on like our time together, you're, you're a very deep thinker. Well, I do think a lot. I like to observe. I think I'm pretty perceptive. Um, I do like to think. So yeah, I guess I think quite a bit. I think maybe too much. Why, why, why would you say that? 
Well, um, <clears throat> it's constantly on, I'm constantly analyzing, I'm constantly thinking about what I could be doing different. As soon as I am prone in bed, I'm out within probably about five seconds. So the mind is racing, racing, racing. It's served me very well in the varying jobs that I've had. You asked me a little bit about who I am. By, by trade, um, I'm a clinical social worker. Um, actually, Andrea is well. She's got a private practice. I work in a, an employee assistance program. We run a call center and a crisis hotline, as well as a disaster activation line. And I used to run the operations and thinking a lot, problem solving. I love operational kind of things. That's kind of my mindset. I've been transitioned though into the thrilling, wonderful world of regulatory compliance and information privacy and security. And therefore I am now looking at the twilight of my career to move on into something else at some point in my life. But, but, but not stopping, just, just changing. Well, I do have a theory. <clears throat> my, my actual goal, in addition to doing something church related is to, I think I'm a pretty good counselor. I think assessing and developing a rapport. So my thought is that I want to work at a hardware store because I'm figuring people come into the hardware store, they got an anger management problem because the sync project isn't working, the hardware problem is not getting resolved, their spouse is on their case, there's a communication or an anger management issue, so they're coming into the hardware store, and I'm figuring I can help them with the hardware issue, offer a free counseling session. No other hardware store will have offered that kind of opportunity or that kind of a service. That's my ultimate goal in life, job-wise. So that's what I'm going to retire to. It sounds fantastic. It sounds really good. <laughs> it sounds kind of twisted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and I haven't talked a lot about this, but I, my background is in social work, too. I have a master's degree. Ah. And, and I definitely, when you kind of said, you know, that your connection to, to maybe this is a good transition here, our, your good connection to faith and rapport and all that, um, I do think that um, a background in social work is such a good uh, bridge to pastoral work, you know, and, and what I'm doing right now. And so I, I, maybe that's why you and I connect so well, because I, I see that, <clears throat> that obviously in you, and I know that's kind of an important part. I mean, I, I can see that you're, you're spirituality so uh, there's a great depth to it and but you communicate it really well too so um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your faith <clears throat> hmm well I'll take the easy answer first I was born and raised Lutheran my dad was a Lutheran minister actually so I understood the inner workings of what church life was like knowing the man who was running the church yeah. which I don't know if that was necessarily good or bad, but I went to parochial school until seventh grade. Then I went to public school when we moved. I went to um, Concordia College, um, actually in Milwaukee before it became a four-year college and got a degree in social work, uh, as you say. Um, I used to attend Mount Olive right across the street from St. Seb's. Oh, wow. Yep. And in 1991, my oldest kid's mom went to the Easter Vigil across the street at St. Seb's and came back and was just overwhelmed with how wonderful it is. So she decided to become Catholic and my two kids also became Catholic. And I sat in both churches in the pews attending um, the Lutheran tradition and then going to Orthodox Lutheran as I used to refer to the Catholics and would attend over there and a member of both but not actually a true member of the Catholic Church. 
that was in 1991 that I actually um, started at SEBS hmm. and got um, uh, went through RCIA and got confirmed in 1995 and right away um, became a member of the RCIA team, which I did for, I don't know how many years. I was on RCIA with Andrea actually until um, your father, uh, Dick, came to St. Seb's. So I was very involved with that. So church-wise, um, I also was a part of the uh, uh, education committee before I served a term on the education committee. I did premarital work as well. You know, I play keyboard, so I would play before church. And then there was uh, there for a while, again, when Jim Pelour was there, he had a lot of different kind of electronic instruments. He changed after a while, but we had a, a I played keyboard, we had guitars, we had violins and whatnot. We had a small group that would play. Okay. So I used to play in church now and then. When I was Lutheran, I played all the time. But okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's part of that. But that's you wanted to know spirituality. And I first started purposely with church spirituality is a completely different thing for me faith is something different i think of faith as i always refer to it as it's a nagging awe i am driven to know something more about what life and a connection to god is about i have yet to figure it out the catholic church has got some ideas that seem to work pretty well and i think beyond that i think inside of it outside of it it's something, though, that I'm driven towards. It gets frustrating. Um, last Sunday, we talked about the pendulum in the church that swings. I've had a lot of pendulums swinging with my faith. Sometimes it feels pretty far away. It's been coming back. So it's this a nagging awesome. I want to know more about, and I want to share it as much as I can. So, Yeah, that's good. That's well said. I like that nagging awe. Um, Richard wrote. Rich, Father Richard Rollheiser has a, a book called The Holy Longing, and it's the same kind of idea like this. I have the the um, Blaise Pascal said, we, we have a, a God-shaped hole in our hearts. You know, that... that, that yep, I, can, I think I can really, but I don't know. I, I guess it's sometimes the hole, sometimes it's, a, it's an abyss, sometimes it's a pinhole, whatever. It's something that is, it's there and I'm aware of it and I'm always looking. Actually, I think the, the actual quote is a uh, uh, God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. <laughs> that, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons I wanted to interview is we were starting to talk about um, last Sunday, we, we were, and you, you've given me a good introduction to the El Salvador Committee and the work, the connection of Teosente. Do you want to talk a little bit about that ministry? Yeah, it's interesting that I started at SEBS in 1991, and in 1991, <clears throat> um, uh, the, the principal of the school and one of the teachers went on a mission trip down to El Salvador. There's a group called SHARE, and they were interested in setting up a relationship between one community in El Salvador uh, with the sistering parish, and it happened to be Teosinte, and it happened to be um, 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 St. Sebastian. So that's when I first started. So I would go to church and find them talking about the sister relationship, the brothers and sisters in Teosinte. And I would always be wondering, well, what's this Teosinte about? I didn't know anything about it. After I got confirmed though, I got very interested. And in 1999, as part of the Lenten journey, um, Judy Hill had made an announcement that there was gonna be an, a, a delegation going down to El Salvador. 
in, in November of 1999. And on a whim, I decided, I think I'm interested. <clears throat> There's just something about these people that I'd like to know a little bit more about. I had met one of the gentlemen who had come up from El Salvador, <clears throat> uh, Rafael was his name, and um, thought, this guy's kind of fascinating. These people are on a similar time zone as we are. They're Catholic. We pray about them. They're interested in us. I have to meet them. So in 1999, November, I went down and spent um, four days in, in the community um, with 12 other people that were on our delegation from St. From Seb's. And since that time, we've had a total of nine delegations and I've been on four. I went down in 1999. I went down again in 2011. More about that in just a moment. I went down in 2015. And then the last delegation was in 2018. And it's ironic because right before COVID hit, the committee was just getting into the process of planning for the next delegation, which could have been this coming fall. And now we're hoping we can do it in, in uh, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> what, what were you going to say about your second? Well, <clears throat> we went down and um, after, I'm going to blame Judy Hill for something. I had never been out of the country other than in Canada in my entire life. Uh, for me, a vacation or going some way was maybe going to like Cudahy. Um, I just never traveled very much. So here I am down in El Salvador and on a lot of money because we had to take all of our cash down there. And I, was ha I had the money that was being used for our whole delegation on me. And we're walking around in the streets and there are soldiers with AK-47s who are being used to guard parking spots at businesses in the area that we were walking around in San Salvador. So I was overwhelmed with all this. Yeah. I cut myself shaving before I went to Teosinte. Now I'm paranoid thinking I'm going to get some kind of a bad infection. I'm going to be out in the middle of nowhere. And so I was just this nervous wreck. And Judy got kind of tired of me being kind of nervous. And she said, David, there's no rules. You're just here to learn. And immediately it's like this big bubble was burst. And now I can relax. And it was so cool to go there in 1999 and just be nothing but me. No, they don't be from Adam. I can just be my natural self. And it was most freeing experience that I've had. And I met a lot of really cool people there. One individual, that I, she and her family and I, we came rather close. So when I went back down in 2011, instead of staying as a big group like we did in previous delegations, we got to stay in individual family homes. Mm -hmm. And this particular family, their name is Guardato Navarrete. <clears throat> they wanted me to stay in their home which I got to do. And I stayed in their home each time that I've been down and it got to the point where they adopted me. So I'm an adopted member of the Guardato Navarrete family, but that's just me. I'm here to represent Teosinte for all of, um, of St. Sebastian. Just make sure you're clear on that. But as a result, I've had some very great relationships that were developed because of those visits. Why do you keep going back? What is it about this relationship that uh, speaks to you? Well, I think the relationship is incredibly important for St. Sebastian. Um, we have, I think, a really good social ministry group uh, through the Human Concerns, and it's local, which is good. But the connection to the greater church, especially to the church that is harder to relate to, 
even difference in language is incredibly important. I'm very passionate about the approach that our government is taking to welcoming people into the United States. And I know people who have been in El Salvador who are still there and are trying to get into the United States because of what they're having to face in their own country. That is something that is very important to me. The need to communicate to people, especially our parish members about these are real people. I know some of the people in Teosinte more than I know people in St. Sebastian and trying to get everyone to know more about what these families are about, what they face each day. That is something that I think would be a blessing to them. I guess I would have to say, it blessed me so much to go down there. I just want to try to see if it can bless anybody else. That's why I keep going. It's well said, powerful. Um, uh, if, if someone wanted to learn more about Teosente and the, and the ministry, how would they, what, how would they go about that? Well, um, right now, calling a member of the committee would be great. You can call me anytime. I will always want to talk. I've got tons of things that I can share about that. On the website, currently the St. Sebastian website, it's a little bit outdated. We are in the process of getting a lot of good information out about that. I think going to the SHARE website is something that's really important. But really, the best thing to do, talk to somebody who's gone down there talk to a member of the committee is the best way to know more. I've got videos, I've got DVDs, I've got pictures, I've got correspondence. I've got a ton of things that I'm willing to share with anyone as are the other members of the committee about what's going on in El Salvador. I do, by the way, also have relationship. There, there are about uh, 300 people in Teosinte. Much of the population has dispersed. There are a number of people in the United States, many on the East Coast, Baltimore, and in Connecticut. And then there is a big contingent of folks from Teosinte who are also in Italy, um, all going to these locations to try to make money to send back to support their families. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about Teosinte, I'm talking about the family members also that are all over and dispersed. Yeah. You talked about the connection to the Universal Church, which I think is so important. And one more question, I guess, about uh, that that Sente relationship. Uh, the universality of our faith is so important. How would you describe the faith of the people that are in Sente? Incredibly strong, um, open, um, wanting to connect. Mm -hmm. The a faith that is not only shaped but made strong because of um, turmoil and difficulty. Um, the the very first time I went down there um, in 1999, we met their priest. Their priest comes into the community um, a, maybe once a month because they have other communities that they need to support. Wow. So they find other ways to share their faith. They're very open about that. Um, which I think is rather incredible. Yeah. I, I came back wanting to share more because it was just, I was induced to do that. I will never, ever forget. Um, they wanted us to sing a song during their mass. And it was at night, um, dusk actually. And it was in their old church and lighting was horrific. And we were going to sing Pande Vida. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't all know all the words, so we had written them down. 
And <clears throat> here we are, a group of um, United, people from the United States standing in this old war-torn church, trying to sing Pande Vida, and worse yet, trying to read the words on the papers that we had written on. And we were having trouble with the words. And the, some of the kids in the choir, they saw that happening. So they went to the altar and took candles off the altar and walked over to stand by us so they could use the candles that had been on the altar to help us see the words to sing the song in that mass. That to me is what the universal church and faith is all about. Sharing the light so that we could so that we could be together. That's why I keep going down there. That is beautiful. That's a beautiful story. What a, what a beautiful image. And the song that we know, I mean, I, that, that's a, I mean, again, the universe, that, that connection, the solidarity that we can have. I think that's the other thing about a global mission that's so important is, you know, we might not think we have anything in common with someone in El Salvador. And here you just told me in a few minutes of conversation, um, one, about the connection you've made personally, but two, like sharing sharing a song that is, you know, maybe we don't know all the words, but we're familiar with it. So that's beautiful. Well, they're so open about their faith. And another example, Raphael was an individual who had come up actually to St. Seb's to visit. And he told the story about during the war, he had left his home to get some milk. And in the process of leaving, he had been arrested and ran the risk of being incarcerated and was finally able to be free. And he was beaten up <clears throat> horribly. And they finally let him come back and he came back home and he was telling us about this story. And one of the group that we were with had asked him, well, are you angry? He said, I don't have time to be angry. I forgave. I just want to move forward. That to me is an example of how they express their faith. <clears throat> they're so open. They're so faithful and faith sharing. And I know I'm kind of glorifying them. They're not perfect, but it was very striking for me to experience that. No, I, I mean, I think you're sharing the story. You're, I mean, the, the, you're sharing your story. You're sharing the story of this, this community. And I really appreciate you doing that because as someone who's not been there, it's hard to connect to people you don't know. You know, even um, the uh, social uh, uh, problems in, in, in justice are hard to connect to if they don't connect to something personal to us or someone that we that that we care about, and uh, the only way I think we can make that connection is by sharing the stories. And so I appreciate you doing that. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. My last question for you is: as, as you think about the future, what do you hope for, David? Well, um, selfishly, I hope to be more connected to people. Hmm. I tend to be in my own mindset a lot. I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten more standoffish. So I want to be more open. So I hope to be more open and connected. I'm hopeful that people, um, not just my family, but um, all people can be much more creatively inquisitive about other people. Mm -hmm. Instead of judgmental, instead of standoffish, that we can look at people of any kind of difference and we can say, huh, I wonder what there is going on with that person. And not from a problem standpoint, but I wonder what's going on in that person's mind. I'm hopeful we can do that and find um, many, many different creative ways to be able to share what are we learning about each other 
that's um, again inquisitive, that is enlightening, that builds up a little bit of mm, faith in people. I'm hopeful for that. Yeah, I am too. Um, uh, <clears throat> Lisa, my wife says uh, a phrase they're using at their work a lot is um, uh, listening to understand instead of listening to respond. Yeah, I think that would be a really good approach. <clears throat> and list and listening to find out and and understand, but also to find out there's always something more. Yeah. Uh, when I was a counselor, I'd always say there's always three different ways to look at something. There's your way, there's my way, and there's another way. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful we can all find another way to look at things and each other. Well said. Well said. Uh, David, this was such a good conversation. Thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your wisdom and, and helping the, us understand the story of uh, El Salvador and Teosente. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm fearful that I was too personal about it because this is a, a, a parish relationship with Teosinte, but for me, it is a personal relationship too. Yeah, and it's how we learn about it. So, so thank you very much again uh, and, and blessings on your journey. Well, in, 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 in Spanish, I would say, que Dios les bendiga. God bless you. And God, thank God bless you too. Thank you. <laughs>